You're listening to Liturgies of Life, the fifth season of Enacting the Kingdom. Here you'll be joining me and Father Jeffrey as we consider the wider implications of our everyday rituals. From shopping to social media to sports and to the so-called work-life balance, let's explore how the mundane aspects of our daily existence truly become liturgies of life. Civil disobedience or civil obedience. This is our topic for our episode today, Father Jeffrey. And I think it is an apt topic to pick given today's political climate and some of the protests and um, the civil unrest that we have seen in certain areas of our country and in in our culture more widely beyond just Canada as well. Um, You know, just quickly coming to mind, uh, the you know, trucker protests that happened uh, back a couple of months ago, at least at the time of this recording uh, in Ottawa. Uh, the pro- Those were the protests against, um, I don't know what it was against, against something to do with COVID laws or something like <laughs> I'm that. I'm not sure they knew. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but isn't that sort of the case sometimes with lots of these big protests that, you know, it's a big movement that people then attach themselves to and they're all coming with different things. But, you know, it's not only the trucker protest that comes to mind as well. You know, a, a couple of years back now with after the George Floyd murder, there was the Black Lives Matters, uh, Black, sorry, Black Lives Matter protests that that happened um, for uh, seeking um, racial justice, particularly in the United States. But then, you know, it because of their cultural force, it bleeds over into other countries, even some other countries that don't necessarily suffer from the same kinds of um uh, discrimination issues that the United States does. So, you know, you, it, it, it kind of doesn't matter where on the quote unquote political spectrum you are, there's always going to be kind of something to protest, right? Whether you're tearing down statues or perhaps renaming universities or um, driving your truck to Ottawa, you know, there's there's something or, or perhaps going to a rally for in support of Ukraine, which at the time of this recording is still under invasion from Russia. You know, there's there's a lot of times where we as just human beings have this desire that wells up in us to actually take action to change something in the world that is maybe beyond our ability to change as an individual. And I guess this episode is about exploring how we as Orthodox Christians can approach this, right? Civil obedience, civil disobedience. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot here, Father Jeffrey, but I'm going to keep going because, you know, what what else comes to (laughs) mind is... is, um, um, the New Testament, actually, the letters of the apostles deal with this question a lot. Like almost every letter, you know, if it's Paul writing or Peter, uh, they're writing because there's a, the Christians in the earliest church, and I would say all the way to this day, are still learning what it means to belong to God's kingdom and to be citizens of states, cities, countries now right? In this age, right? Because I'm a Canadian, but I'm also a member of God's kingdom. And there's, there is a tension there. And different Christians have actually landed in different spots on how to engage that, right? We think of Jehovah's Witnesses won't even be in the room for the national anthem, because for them, no, that's the line. We will not participate in, the, in this kingdom here. We're going to participate only in God's kingdom. But us as Orthodox, we're okay with you know singing the national anthem and having a bit of nationalism in there. Not necessarily, if, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not, but 
it's kind of okay with the uh, with the many Orthodox Christians. So I've thrown a lot at you, Father Jeffrey, but maybe we could start with, you know, what does it mean for a Christian, an Orthodox Christian, to be obedient or perhaps disobedient to the country or the state that we belong to? Yeah, you have thrown a lot out there, um, and it's well worth exploring, you know, all of that. Um, I mean, our, our starting point has to be, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has come to do. And in some senses, you could construe the entire project, as it were, of the kingdom as a massive act of disobedience to civil authority, right? In fact, rejection of civil authority. In the All of the language of the Roman Empire was appropriated in the gospel and said, this does where it says it does not apply to Caesar, it applies to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So the good news of the Son of God, it's all language to do with the empire, right, you know, right. uh, the, the coming of the kingdom, who is properly to be called Lord. I mean, in all kinds of ways, the Gospels and then Acts and then all of the epistles in the New Testament are all making the same point, that our only sovereign, our only ruler, our only Lord is God himself who has come in the person of Jesus Christ in order to assume his kingdom, in order to take up his throne, which was on a cross, in order to ascend where all power in heaven and earth um, has been you know, given to him. And that's where our only obedience and loyalty you know, lies. Uh, so that's the kind of ultimate theological framework in which we, we operate. And we have to never forget that part of it. So the we are always, as Christians, always and everywhere citizens of that kingdom and not ultimately properly citizens of this of, of any kingdom in this passing away world. Right. There's right? always uh, so, there's always something deeper underneath the considerations mm-hmm. of merely this world. Absolutely. Like the the and, considerations of this world are important, but there's always that sort of deeper layer for us, isn't there? Yeah. And you will see this then spelled out in so many different ways in the early church and even through the history of the church. If you think of, you know, the way the apostles go out and, you know, will need to break laws as they are spreading the gospel. They, you know, they get imprisoned. They they face trial and, and persecution and so forth. And then you think of the early centuries and the way Christians were invited to do something at what maybe seems to us as a fairly you know, innocuous thing, and we could probably get away with doing it and still go to church on Sunday of offering incense to the emperor, right? And think of maybe what the analogies of that today might look like, right? But they refused. They literally refused to do that. And they faced, you know, strong persecution and even martyrdom for their refusal to offer that obedience and submit to the authority of the emperor. And that's an outworking of precisely this theological framework that says the world has totally changed and all power in this passing away world has now been ultimately emptied of its power. It still looks like it has power. It still is corrupting. The the old creation is still groaning and travailing, but something new has come. And that new thing is the sovereignty of the, the God who took flesh and who trampled down death by death, who, who put sin and all darkness and suffering to, to death in his, his own self-sacrificing death and rose again, offering something utterly new, a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth that will ultimately be revealed, but have yet to be 
fulfilled in that sense, that yet to be manifested to. And, and so our loyalty is to something which is as yet hidden, as yet unseen. And that's where, you know, all of these kinds of um, contradictions and, and difficulties and paradoxes and tensions, you know, will come in in the Christian life. But it's pretty clear from the early church, you know, where this is going. Now, you're right in saying that there's indications, you know, in, in the, the New Testament about, well, you know, to, to some extent, we owe something to civil authorities, right? And although the early Christians were, you know, very keen to see nothing would constrain the gospel. The fact that the very last words of the, of the acts of the apostles is that the, the word of God is going out, you know, without constraint, without, without any kind of shackles on it. Even though Paul and, is shackled up in the house. Even though Paul at that moment has been put in prison by civil authorities for what, you know, he's been agitating for and so forth. But the gospel itself is unshackled. It's really, really key, key part of that. But and it's the same St. Paul who will write, you know, to the Romans that, you know, you, you should, pay some obeisance to civil authorities. The same Paul who will claim his Roman citizenship and make use of that in defending his apostleship, his missionary activities, and, and so forth. And so there's a sense in which we don't go out of our way to provoke. We don't go out of our way to offend. We don't go out of our way to, to bring persecution upon us. That's going to happen quite naturally and quite organically if we go out and do the gospel, right? We don't have to seek it. And so the idea that, oh, well, because Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not, that means we should just go out of our way and, you know, thumb our noses at authorities or ignore, you know, police officers or politicians or, or, or courts or, you know, judges or whatever the authority is that, that we're facing. I mean, that, that's just nonsense, right? The, the focus here is the gospel. The focus is the kingdom of God and always and everywhere putting that first. Then as far as possible, we work within the structures of the world because that's, actually the path of least resistance for the gospel going forward without shackles, right? If you actually set out as your first step in preaching the gospel to invite persecution or to be thrown in, in prison, it probably isn't going to, you know, advance you very far. It will probably inevitably happen at some point. There'll be some kind of contradiction, some kind of, of conflict and at that point, the gospel wins. The kingdom of God wins. The, the sovereignty of, of Christ over all kingdoms of this world will win out. And we always and everywhere choose that. But it doesn't mean we seek in the first instance to bring, you know, all of the resistance of the world against us. That's inevitable, but it's not what we, we seek. There was a, a marvelous, um, American uh, abolitionist in the the 19th century, so really, you know, a theologian and a, an opponent of of slavery, and uh, he had this marvelous expression: Henry uh, Peck, we must obey God always, and human law, social and civil, when we can. Right, and that puts things in the right perspective. That's the kind of perfect expression of what the early church set out to do: we must obey God always. And then human law, social and civil, all those human authorities, when we can. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans when he says, you know, you know pray for the emperor and, and, you know, obey and so forth. Well, because 
we don't want necessarily to be stopped in our tracks, right? We want to work as far as possible with the world and where the Holy Spirit is preceding us into the world already at work in people's hearts. Let's go out and and proclaim the kingdom, enact the kingdom, but let's not, you know, make this point of civil disobedience the gospel, right? That's not the gospel. It will happen because we are following the gospel, but not it doesn't itself become our focus. If you're not a patron of Enacting the Kingdom, you're only getting half a podcast. This show only exists because of an active community of people just like you over on Patreon. When you become a patron, you'll get additional episodes, live streams, and our ever-growing backlog of episodes, 66 at the time of this recording. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community. I think another expression of this is from the Gospels themselves and Jesus teaching in the in the temple a few days before he was actually executed. When they were trying to catch him out, they're trying to get him to say something that would actually get him executed. The uh, certain people come to him and ask, um, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Right. Which is, that's a dangerous question uh, in that, in the, in the situation that he found himself. And he says, he has this famous line that I'm sure we're all familiar, familiar with. I believe we've chatted about this a little bit in earlier episodes, Father Jeffrey, but it's worth bringing back. But this, this phrase, um, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. You know, I think a lot of people have interpreted that as, okay, well, there's this realm this equal and opposite realm, which is the world, right? It's Caesar's, right? It's it's uh, be be a good citizen or whatever. And then this other thing over here, you can like give God the things that are God's, right? But that's not necessarily what Jesus is saying in that moment, right? He's not creating two categories. It's almost that nesting doll kind of image where, yeah, give give to it, it, it's like that quote you gave from Peck, right? Give to God what is God. Well, what's God's? If, yeah, everything everything, everything yeah. is god's right but but you give to caesar what is caesar's but you give to god what is god's and it's this like i don't know it's one of those brilliant answers in the gospel like one of those mic drop moments isn't it well yeah and we forget sometimes you know jesus first response is to ask them to show him one of the coins with which they would be paying said tax right mm-hmm. and of course on the coin will be an image of the emperor and that image will be surrounded by some kind of inscription, probably something that says, you know, this is the son of God. Uh, you know, this is the, the, you know, the God's representative. He's divine and, and so forth. I mean, this is, it's a sarcastic response in a, in a way, you know, give this back to Caesar, right? This is, you know, this is all he's owed is, is this kind of human uh, designed project that is passing away, that is, that is ending. And those, those authorities, those powers are, are being emptied. And yeah, it's, so it's, it's certainly not a, a kind of 18th century, you know, constitutional division of church and state that is being envisaged here where we neatly, you know, draw the line in an enlightenment style between, oh, well, Here's the spiritual realm over here. That's what churches look after. And you know, here's the state and the political economy and society and and so forth. And that's what you know the, our civil authorities are, are looking at. Um, it's not that kind of, of thing. The the kingdom is all. Jesus, as sovereign Lord of heaven and earth with all power therein, is all, right? And then within that, yeah, where you need to 
you know, as far as possible, we follow, you know, human society because that's the world in which we are still having to work within this, you know, interim time frame, the already but not yet, the overlapping ages that we've spoken of so often, you know, before. And it's in that period that inevitably we will come into conflict, you know, with, with civil authority. But, you know, that's a story that's been told, you know, for thousands of years throughout the scriptures. We have the same story of not being able to follow human law, social and civil, you know, to the nth degree. And it's not about, you know, it's because the, the state has somehow trespassed into the realm that the, the, of spirituality or what the church looks after or what, you know, God's part of the world is. It's that they have done something or asked something or required something that undermines our only and true loyalty, you know, to God himself, you know, think of Babylon, right? And the, you know, the, the famous <laughs> case of King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Putting up this great, you know, statue, massive golden statue for everyone to bow down to. And an edict goes out. And it's such a lovely thing. We read it on, on Holy uh, Saturday afternoon as part of the, the 15 readings um on the on the eve of pascha uh you know but it's you know with all these different instruments play then you know every nation every voice every tongue is supposed to bow down you know to this statue and worship what the king has put up and of course we know about shadrach meshach and abednego who who just refuse right you know well and, and it's interesting because they say you know we recognize you know you kind of have this earthly authority that's been given to you and everything but you know we're just not having this this is not in keeping with our ultimate loyalty our our acknowledgement of god's you know sovereignty and of course they get tossed into the fire for their um disobedience is something they're willing to pay an ultimate sacrifice for and of course we know how how it ends up you know they're not saved from the fire they're not prevented from going into the fire but god is with them in the fire and they they, they pass through that unscathed which is marvelous and of course daniel himself has the the incident of uh, being told by another king, King Darius, uh, that you know for thirty days nobody's to pray to anyone other than the king, and Daniel just doesn't go along with that, right? And he ends up being tossed uh, to the lions for for his troubles. But I mean, over and over again, think of, of Queen Esther or or of uh, you know the various um, you know the the midwives in in Egypt, right? There's a there's a an absolute decree from the Pharaoh to kill all the Hebrew babies if they're boys. And um, it, this might be the first recorded instance of civil disobedience in, in human literature, but, you know, the, these, these old midwives decide to refuse the king's edict. You know, it says the, the midwives feared God, but they did not, so, so they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. And of course, famously, that includes uh, the baby Moses, who's put in a a uh, basket of, of, of reeds and, and, and put into the river and, and so forth. So civil disobedience of this nature is just written throughout the scriptures, written throughout church history. And I mean, it's just, it's a no brainer in some ways, right? So um, I, I think from, from that level, just putting our priorities in the right sequence allows us to kind of make sense of that. So but back to the Peck quote, right? Obey God always. And then, you know, go along with human law as far as possible. But it's not where our loyalties lie. That's not the point. It's not why we're here. So the struggle here for a lot of us, let's say, 
the Western world, 21st century, it's 2022 and we're recording this, you know, what are the guardrails for us when it comes to when to participate in, let's say something as simple as some protests or, um, or some forms of rallies or things like that? What are some of the guardrails we can use in discerning whether or not this is an appropriate action for us to take as Orthodox Christians. Because, you know, it we don't have a rule book that says, oh, when it's this, 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 then you can go into the street, right? Um, if if we had a rule book that covered every single situation that we're going to face, that book would be, the world could not contain what would be in that book because the situations are so uh, there's so many different unique situations and, you know, what the gospels do and what the scriptures do is offer us a pattern that we can then shape. And as we've been talking a lot of in this, in the, in, in our podcast is, you know, improvise within the story of the gospel in our own life. So with that settled, yes. Okay. We understand that that's what we have to do. Take, take, take on the pattern of that story of the scriptures into our own lives and improvise in our, in our unique situations. But what are those guardrails that could help guide us from not going not going too far, right? That that's one worry. But the other one is not actually doing what needs to be done in a moment, right? Perhaps this is a moment where we do have to step out and put ourselves out there, but perhaps it's a moment where that's maybe inappropriate as well. So that's the question. What are our guardrails here? Yeah, I mean it's interesting you say, you know, something like not going too far. And I think that's often where people's thoughts go on something like this. Well, you know, Christians can, you know, broadly be supportive of, you know, value-based, you know, agitation and protests and and ac- activism and, and so forth. But but sure we're going to do it in a polite way, right? That that that's somehow the guardrail that that's in in play there. As though, you know, politeness was somehow, you know, the Christian virtue that that needs to govern all here. And I, I would want to take that completely out of the equation. I mean, that's just not on the table. It's not about that. Your metaphor or illustration of the improvisation, I think, is helpful because as we've spoken before, you know, it's like being in the fifth act of a play, right? And we we know where we've come from. We know the story up to the end of the the first four acts, it's already played out. We have the script. We, we can read that. We can return to that. We're left in the fifth act without that script. But the other thing we have, right, in addition to knowing where we've come from and knowing what the plot lines and characters and, and values and, and so forth are from the scriptures, from church tradition and so forth, we also know the end, right? And it's this living... F- towards, but also from the end that is really crucial here. Because if we are properly citizens of the age to come, if we are already through our baptism and chrismation and participation in the sacraments and in the community of the, the church, which is the vanguard of that kingdom, we are already, you know, we belong to another world, another age in which heaven and earth have completely come together. And the, the, that sovereignty of Jesus Christ is manifest across the whole world. We already belong to that. We just can't live it fully because it has yet to be fully revealed. Nevertheless, we are asked to live that that thing, which is God's future kingdom, now, 
right? That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the, should be the first thought in our minds when we wake up in the morning. It should be the last thought uh, as we go to sleep in the evening. Have I done this? Have I done something today and tried as far as possible today to live in all respects with all people, with all things around me, God's future kingdom now? And what does that look like? We just have to look to what our Lord Jesus Christ does in his own earthly life because he does that. He lives his life as though the kingdom has already come in its fullness. We can look to, you know, a book that sadly we don't read in church, but we ought to maybe, or at least study it for this. You know, what does it look like in Revelation when heaven and earth have come together, that new Jerusalem is revealed, you know, you know, when every tear has been wiped away, that the kind of the aspects of that kingdom are of peace proper shalom in that fullest sense of right relationship, you know, with one another, with all of creation, where justice reigns, uh, God's righteousness and holiness are, are, are known. If we live that, right, that's not only the goal of the life that we're living, it's also the means to that. So the guardrail, as it were, is is not so much a guardrail in the end, but it's this expansive vision of the kingdom. And if at all times we're thinking, I need to live towards that, and I need to live the reality and the means, the, 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 the whole life of that as a means now towards that, then we have a good chance of setting out on the, on the right course. So in other words, if at the end of all things, you know, all you know, violence and, and bloodshed and warfare are, are overcome, right? That becomes the goal of our life, but it also is the means of it. We can't be setting out with bloodshed and warfare and violence to achieve our ends, right? So it's not so much, well, you know, there's a rule that says don't pass this this line, right? If you go over this, you know, you're in danger or you've, you've, you've made God unhappy or anything. It's that we should be not only living towards God's future, but living it now in the very way that we, we go about, you know, acting. Now, that still brings us into conflict with civil authority. It doesn't in any way, you know, take that off the table. And as a consequence of that, we will be subject to violence. We will be subject to persecution, no doubt, because those are the tools, those are the mechanisms and the, the modus operandi of the, the kingdoms of this world, that, which have been emptied of their ultimate power, but still are flailing about exercising that as far as, as they can. And, and so we will face you know, up to those consequences. And how often, even in recent history, have we seen those people who have set out to do just what I'm talking about, to live the the reality of a kingdom of justice and of, of, of peace today, and have gone about doing that, but have suffered, you know, for that. And of course, the first and greatest to suffer for that in, in, in that sense is our Lord himself, but who demonstrates that that's not the end of the story, right? But in, in recent history, you can think of many examples of people who through, you know, principally nonviolent protest, although it, it's not the, uh, you know, it's not a political nonviolence that is, that is the kind of, um, philosophy or goal here. It is 
the, the principles and the life of God's own kingdom that we should be focused on at all times. And, you know, we need to, as I say, not only have that in mind as the end of that story that we're improvising in that fifth act, but it's the very means of living now. And if we can live with one another as far as possible on those principles, then, you know, we, we don't have to actually ask ourselves very often any, you know, individual questions about, you know, is this going too far? Am I being impolite by doing this? Or am I, you know, uh, do I join this protest or, or, or not? We're just simply living the way we're supposed to be living, right? And of course, that will mean at times, uh, you know, as Jesus himself says, you know, those who are not against us are for us. And so there may be people with very different you know, kind of political ends or even ultimate ends, but that for a time we find ourselves having some common purpose with them because we're living God's future now. It means we live according to certain principles and we may find on that journey accompaniment by people who, who aren't thinking in those terms, but nevertheless have some kind of more immediate aims that, that, that line up with that. We shouldn't be afraid of that. And that's often become recent, you know, in recent history, you know, a, a reason not to do what I'm talking about. Well, sure. Look, the, the Marxists are doing that or the, you know, the liberation, uh, you know, activists who are, who are inclined to, to violence are, are interested in the same sort of goals. So we should leave aside those aspects of justice and, and so forth. But, but that's to miss the point, right? Our focus is entirely different. And if those people happen to be trying to break in on, on that same focus for, for a spell, well, you know, that there's nothing we can, you know, do about that. It doesn't mean we adopt their means or their goals or their values or so forth. We are entirely focused on this thing that we call the, the kingdom of God, God's future life, which has been revealed to us. And we can begin to live into in a much better way than, than we've done so far. Because the, the default position of, of holding back from that is simply to adopt the world's values, is to adopt what the civil authorities have dictated to us, what our culture has dictated to us as those, you know, imminent frame, you know, goals of, of, of consumerism and, and worldly happiness and, or even just simply falling into line with what politicians, you know, want us to do. And none of that should be what we focus on at all. If we're happening to do that at times, so, so be it, you know, that's that, you know, following human law whenever we can, but it's ultimately focusing on the kingdom that matters, not only as a goal, but as a means to get there. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.